the God we need, the Savior we need, has spoken to us in his word, his word that we need. And we turn to that word now, we turn to the Old Testament book of Ruth and to the second chapter, page 268 in our church Bibles. And we read from the second chapter, the first 13 verses of the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 2 from verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field, or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Some things... In this life, 
in this world are of outstanding beauty. Sights, sounds, places, buildings, tastes, smells, all sorts of things that our senses and our minds say to us. Here is something of exquisite beauty. And this passage, which I've just read, is a passage of such beauty. Why do I say that? It is beautiful because of the outstanding, praiseworthy qualities which we see in the two principal human actors, Ruth and Boaz, or Boaz and Ruth. And at the very least, we see in this man and in this woman role models for every one of us. Role models. We'll come to that in a moment. But why are these characters, Boaz and Ruth, so very beautiful? It is because we see the beauty of the Lord God himself shining through them. This Thursday I was standing in Liverpool Cathedral, largest Anglican building in this country, possibly largest Anglican church or cathedral in the entire world. And there were two magnificent stained glass windows through which the sun was shining from the southwest, flooding the cathedral with wonderful light. The beauty of the windows obviously enhanced by the light of the sun shining through them. And that's what we see today, as we'll go on to see two very beautiful characters, made beautiful by the God who shines his own light and character through their characters. Notice something else about today's narrative that we've just read. It is carried on entirely by conversation, by dialogue. Two people talking. You think about the stories you've most enjoyed, whether on film or in print, and the chances are that you have enjoyed and been captivated most of all by the parts where people are talking, where the plot gets going, where things really begin to take off. You and I are caught up today in this dialogue of Boaz and Ruth as we read it. So as we look and listen this morning to these two human beings, one man and one woman, we are attracted by them. We are impressed by them. We warm to them. I hope we warm to them. But all the more, we are drawn to the God who is their God who is in and behind and through this whole story. Let's begin by looking at the character of Boaz. And I've simply entitled him Honourable Boaz. Honourable Boaz. Maybe you don't know him very well. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this passage read to you. That may be true of you. But do you have a picture of him? already from what we've read and from what I've already said. 
I looked at Boaz a few days ago and made a number of a list of a number of words that might describe Boaz's character. This is what I came up with. Caring, communicative, public-spirited, sincere, godly, thoughtful, wise, respectful and respected. If it doesn't sound too old-fashioned, we might say that Boaz is in every sense a true gentleman. There is an honour and a nobility about this man that should make all our hearts warm to him. But this morning, in this section of the sermon, I want to especially address the men and the boys in this congregation. Because Boaz is a prominent, excellent role model, especially for the males who are here today. He is the man who in this story so far has been conspicuously absent. There's been no strong man, no honourable man until now. And here he is. Men and boys pay close attention. Ladies and girls, don't fall asleep. This interests you as well. It should do. It certainly should do. And I say these things at a time when, ludicrous though it may seem to many of us, the very definition of male and female is completely up for grabs in our society. We have a shadow senior politician saying in the last few days on national television that when a baby is born, there is no such thing as biological sex. There is no such thing as biological sex. It is simply a matter of of human choice and society's own whim as to whether somebody is male or female. Well, the Bible cuts through that and says that is entirely wrong. God made man male and female. Therefore, this morning, we look at a man, a true man, an honorable man, an exceptional man. Boaz is such a man. Remember, this is during the time of the judges. It says that right back in chapter 1 and verse 1. And if you know the book of Judges at all, you will struggle to find any man in that book of Judges who is remotely like Boaz in terms of honor, uprightness, kindness, wisdom, dignity, or godliness. You can begin with Ehud and Barak and go all the way through to Jephthah and Samson, and you will not find a man who begins to touch the character of this man, Boaz. Who is he? Who is he? We don't know much about Boaz. We understand from what we read later on that he was an older man, probably nearer to Naomi's age than to Ruth's age. Was he married at this stage? It seems most unlikely that he was married. We somehow can't imagine Boaz, later in the story, marrying Ruth and adding her to a set of wives. It seems to us most unlikely. We are told here in chapter 2 and verse 1 that he is a worthy man. Look at him. 
There you are in the fields of Moab, uh, not Moab, uh, the fields of Bethlehem. And you are there and you are working in the fields in the barley harvest. And along comes Boaz from Bethlehem and he says to the reapers in verse 4, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. How many of you who are employees go to your place of work on Monday morning and have your boss come out to meet you and say to you, the Lord be with you? Probably not many of you. And how many of you reply back to your boss and the Lord bless you as well? Maybe, I don't know. This is not just a trite greeting. This is not a throwaway casual God bless. This man means what he says. He is aware of the people in front of him. They are individuals to him. He takes an interest in them. These reapers who are working for him, they matter to this man. He is a man of responsibility. And this responsible man then goes on to notice that there is a woman there that he does not recognize. And maybe even here in verse 5, we are already seeing the first little green shoots of a burgeoning romance. He asks his, uh, his leading servant, not who is this young woman, but whose is this young woman? To whom does she belong? And even here, something is beginning to emerge that will flower later on uh, to what becomes, of course, a marriage. But at this early stage, what do we see above all in Boaz? We see that he is protective towards Ruth. He is protective. He cares for her. He values her well-being. He values her safety and her dignity. He does what he can to guarantee that she will be kept safe. He knows that Ruth, as a Moabite woman, widowed, childless, and vulnerable, could easily be physically attacked or abused, were she anywhere else. And indeed, had Ruth happened to go to any other field, apart from this field belonging to Boaz, she may well have been assaulted in some way. But Boaz is not just any old landowner. Boaz is the epitome. Boaz is a prime example of strong, responsible, caring, protective manhood. At a time when such qualities seemed to be vanishingly rare in Israel. And I'll say it again. Today... Fellow men and boys who are growing to be men, we need to aspire to have these qualities of being strong. I don't mean necessarily physically strong. Not just because my brother-in-law beat me in an arm wrestle a few days ago. But because physical strength is not the main thing. The main thing is mental strength, the strength of the mind, the strength of the determination, the strength and the will and the resolve to do the right thing. 
the strength of responsibility, the strength to care for those who are vulnerable and weak, to protect. Notice one other thing about Boaz before I move on to Ruth. Do you see how as they begin to talk, Boaz and Ruth, uh, that uh, Boaz knows something about Ruth? Go down to verse 11 with me, where Ruth is already amazed at the interest and the care and the love that has been shown to her by this stranger. And then Boaz answers her in verse 11 and says, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Now, what do we notice here about Boaz? He's already done his homework. He's been proactive. He's come prepared. And this is what caring and responsible men try to do. They make sure they are ahead of the game as far as possible. Boaz has taken the trouble to find out about Ruth. He has heard he couldn't miss in Bethlehem this remarkable narrative of how this Moabite widow has come all the way from Moab with her mother-in-law to this land of Israel. Despite great risk and vulnerability, she's there. And Boaz has heard this and he says, as a responsible man, I will make it my concern and my business without being unduly intrusive, but I will find out what this is all about and I will look out for this young lady and her need. He shows a deep interest in her, a great care for her. He is right to do that, and men need to do that. Men need to know their business, the business around them, in their homes, in their families, in their communities, where possible, to know what's going on. It is a challenge for the men of this congregation to act responsibly with the knowledge that they reasonably need to have. That's Boaz, most honourable Boaz. But now let's turn to Ruth. And I call her devoted Ruth. And you might be thinking now, I'm going to address only the women and the girls. Well, actually, I'm not. They should all listen. But I think as we look at Ruth, every single one of us here should pay extra special attention. Notice what Ruth does and learn from her example. Boaz is a model of honorable manhood. Ruth is an example of servant-hearted devotion. Devotion to God and devotion to her task. Now, as I looked at this passage over the last week or two, I, my own view of Ruth changed somewhat. I'd always thought of her before as being a rather shy, coy, tiptoeing sort of person who kind of sauntered invisibly into the fields of Bethlehem and said, you know, would you mind uh, awfully if I were to uh, glean in this field? I'll try not to be too intrusive, but uh, here I am. Is that okay? I don't think she's quite like that. She's not like that at all. No. Although she is entirely courteous and proper and seeks permission 
of the foreman to glean in that field, Ruth is persistent. Ruth is bold. Ruth, we read in verse, in verse 7, here is the report of the foreman. She says, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves. Now that, that sounds almost audacious. It's one thing to glean a long way behind the reapers. It's quite another to request to glean right among the sheaves that have been stacked and bound and ready to be taken away. Now what do we learn from this about Ruth? Ruth seizes the initiative. And this is all consistent with what we know of Ruth so far in this book. She's not hanging back. She's no shrinking violet when it comes to going out and seeking the Lord's blessing. She's not come all the way from Moab to Bethlehem to be invisible and to hide away from the public gaze. She's gone there to work and to glean and to gain food for her and her mother-in-law. She will not let go. She's like Jacob in his wrestling with God. She's seeking the Lord's blessing. She's clung to the Lord. She wants to know God. She wants to receive God's blessing. And that's why she's here so early in the morning. Look at her, look at her work ethic. Look at her industry. Verse 7, the last part is quite hard to translate. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. It might even be translated, so she came and she has made this field her home. She's barely left here. This is, this is her domain. This is where she's taken up residence. She is devoted to seeking the Lord and his blessing. She's like the woman of Proverbs 31 who gets up early and provides food for her household. That's exactly what Ruth is doing on this particular occasion. But there's something else about Ruth that we must see. And this is where we see her beauty more than anywhere else. Look at Ruth's beautiful humility when Boaz speaks to her. Now verse 9 is a remarkable verse. Not only does Boaz say to Ruth, my daughter, stay in this field, stay with my young women, let your eyes be on those that you are with. I've charged the young men not to touch you. He goes on to say to her, when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And when Ruth hears these words, what does she do? She falls on her face in humble astonishment. There is no sense whatsoever of entitlement in her. She says, presumably lying prostrate on the ground, why have I found favor in your eyes? Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? There's no sense of Ruth saying, oh, thanks, Boaz, that's kind of you, great, all right, 
Where's the water? Cheers. I'll have some in a few minutes' time. There's no sense of entitlement about her at all. No. There's a sense of, do you mean that, Boaz? Me? Even me? Drinking of the water of Bethlehem? And I speak to fellow Christians here. Do we not see in this exchange and in these words some wonderful gospel overtones from elsewhere in the scripture? Don't we see echoes of Isaiah 55? Where the Lord says through Isaiah the prophet, Come, whoever is thirsty, let him come and buy. Let him come and buy and eat and drink without money and without price. Here is, here is water and here is plenty laid on for you. It's an amazing free gift. Why should I, says Ruth, a, a foreigner, be served by your, your native young men whose water spring this is? And we hear the words of Jesus, don't we, in John chapter 7. Whoever is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Really, thinks Ruth, even me, though I am a foreigner, though I am a stranger. And we need a sense of that gospel wonder. You and I are not entitled to claim the gift of God on our own terms. We have no right to say, I am deserving of what God gives me. We have no right to say, as some might say, well, of course, it's God's business, it's God's job to basically save me and be good to me and reward me and be gracious to me. Isn't that what God just does? We shrug our shoulders, perhaps, if we get too familiar with it. No, we need to recapture that sense, brothers and sisters, of being amazed and astonished. Why, O oh Lord, should you look on me and so deal with me, though I am a foreigner? There is a self-abasing gratitude in Ruth, which is quite beautiful. It reminds us of David, King David, when he went before the Lord, when Nathan had told David that the Lord would build a house for David and his family forever and forever. And David, you remember, comes to the Lord and says, Is this your common way of dealing with mankind? You've already done such wonderful things for me, and now you've spoken even more about building me an everlasting dynasty. Is this how you normally deal with people, O oh Lord? What amazing love you're showing to me. We think of Isaiah being summoned by God to be a prophet, and you think of Isaiah's sense of unworthiness. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the Lord I'm not worthy Ruth knows she is not worthy not one of us is worthy this is the beauty of humility that we see especially in Ruth and I say again this is not just for the ladies and the girls here this is for every soul here that we should have a sense of why me even me that this great and holy God should treat us with such undeserved favor. It's not justice, is it? It's grace. It's overwhelming, amazing, flowing grace to us. 
We look at Boaz. We admire his nobility and his strength and his responsibility, don't we? We look at Ruth and we marvel at her devotion and her beautiful humility. And then we ask the question, well, what is it then that is making these two people just what they are? And the answer is my third point, the God of refuge. The God of refuge. And at the very heart of this reading, indeed at the very heart of the book of Ruth, is verse 12. Verse 12, which I'll read again, where Boaz speaks to Ruth and he says this. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And maybe, just maybe, you might be slightly unsure about those words, repay and reward. Does this look a little bit too much like salvation by works? Does this look a little bit as though Ruth, who has done such a noble, great, heroic deed, has sacrificed so much, is now being rewarded and repaid simply for her actions? Is this the way it works with God? That Ruth has done something so spectacular, so prominent, that God notices her and says, Well done, Ruth. On the basis of all that you have done, I'm going to reward your good deed handsomely. Is that the way it works with God? It's a quid pro quo. We do our bit, and he repays us because we've done the best we possibly can. Is that the way it is? Well, you see, if we only focus on the words repay and reward, we might well think along those lines. But there's another reword that we see as we come here into verse 12. What does Boaz say? Well, here's the question. What has Ruth done? With what attitude has she come to the Lord? Boaz uses some of the most exalted, poetic language in the whole Bible as he describes God. How does he describe him? The Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Refuge. Does a refugee boast that they have done something honorable? Has a refugee done some great exploit to be qualified to be a refugee? No. A refugee is a needy person, a poor person, a vulnerable person. A person without that refuge, they would be in very great danger. And why does Boaz speak to Ruth the way he does? Why this tenderness? Why this warmth? Why this sense of closeness to her? I think we can say that Boaz recognizes in Ruth a kindred spirit. What do I mean? He sees that she has come to take refuge under the same divine wings 
that he, Boaz, has sheltered under. You might say, but their stories are so different. Boaz is wealthy. Boaz is comfortable. Boaz is respected in the land. But Ruth is poor. Ruth is widowed. Ruth is a refugee. Ruth is a stranger and alien in the land. But they have this in common. They are both trusting in the same God, the same Lord, who shelters them under his wings. And when he uses that language of refuge and shelter and wings, Boaz is drawing from a deep, deep well of biblical metaphor. We can take several examples. I'll just give one or two uh, from the psalm, Psalm 36. These are all beautiful words, you see. How precious is your steadfast love, O God, the children of mankind Take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And then Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. And all of these wonderful pictures, they go right back to early on in Israel's history. Deuteronomy 32 where we read there how the Lord God himself found and, as it were, discovered and took and saved and gathered and protected his own people Israel. He found him in a desert land, in the howling wastes of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. Boaz, Ruth, how different they are, how contrasting they are, how unlike they are. But why do we find them both so attractive? Why are we drawn to their characters? Why? It's because they have both come to take refuge under the shadow of the wings of the Lord. And that is why the Christian gospel is so glorious and so wonderful and so beautiful. You and I can't earn anything. You and I can't claim to be anything or anyone or achieve anything worthy of merit and say look what I've done God that you should reward me every Christian is a refugee every Christian is vulnerable everyone who becomes a Christian sees their need they see their weakness they see that they are liable to judgment and death and hell and the full weight of the wrath of God And then they see that Jesus Christ himself stretched out his arms as he spoke to Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets and kill those who were sent to you, how often I've longed to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. This is the language of our Saviour, you see. He uses it. He is this God. He is the God who gives refuge. What is a Christian? 
Someone who says, I am nothing and no one but a poor refugee. We see that in Ruth, don't we? So evidently, I think we see it also in Boaz. For we understand that Boaz knows that all his safety and privilege and wealth and blessing and honor that he's ever, ever enjoyed comes only because God is a sheltering, refuge-giving God. It says in Psalm 91, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And so for us, if we come and shelter under the wings of the Lord Jesus himself, as we are, as it were, raised up and brought up in his nest, under his wings, in his home, under his care, under his nurture, feeding on his word, in common with all of God's people gathered together, we will be boys and girls, men and women, made beautiful, conformed into the image of Christ, a greater than Boaz, coming as we are, like Ruth, under the shadow of the wings of the only one who can give us refuge and safety and salvation forever and forever. Our God is very good. Our God is gracious. His wings are wings of refuge. Let's come in prayer. Indeed, O Lord God, how precious is this love of yours. How undeserving those you have saved always have been. Our Father, we read the ancient story of your people in the wilderness. We read of their ingratitude and even their abominable idolatry. And yet, O Lord, you saved them. And not only saved them, but went with them. And said to them, I will be with you and you will be my people. And, O Lord God, even though we are to this day... And we say this, Lord, with heavy hearts, with sorrow in our souls. We are an undeserving, rebellious, stiff-necked people. But you remain faithful. And you are, Lord God, that refuge and that tower and that security for whoever comes to you, whoever seeks you, and whoever comes through the only way that you have made available, through the Lord Jesus Christ whose blood and righteousness alone can save us. We praise you for him, and we pray that your word would have mighty effect in all our lives, now and forever, for his sake. Amen.